episode 240 of the Global From Asia podcast. Welcome to the Global From Asia podcast, where the daunting process of running an international business is broken down into straight up actionable advice. And now your host, Michael Michelini. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's uh, Thanksgiving today. Thanksgiving Day as I record this. I am in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. Actually going to be heading to the embassy after I record a little intro here. I got the O visa, non-immigrant visa. I forget all these terms. I'm going to go wait in line on the streets of Malaysia for my Thai visa and I was kind of laughing at myself. I was waiting in line the other day there. I was studying Chinese, and I'm realizing I'm in Malaysia in line to go into the Thai embassy for a Thai visa, and I'm studying Mandarin. What is what is, what is is going on in, my, in the world today? Anyway, anyway, that's a quick one. Um, yeah, four more four more shows left for Global from Asia. Today's got a pretty amazing interview. We got Nathan Resnick. He is doing some amazing things at Sourceify, CEO and founder there. He's gone through Y Combinator and a lot of other amazing amazing journeys, a lot of, between U.S. and Asia. So we we talk some things he's learned, some things he's seeing in the trends today, and some really interesting modern discussions just for a lot of e-commerce sellers, entrepreneurs, business owners, uh, and everyone else out there. So I hope you enjoy. As always, globalfromasia.com slash episode 240 for the picture of him and show notes and other fun stuff. Let's tune in. Need unique content for your business? Who doesn't? At contentinvestments.com, there's a network of writers ready to write unique blog, product review, and other articles for your business. As the saying goes, content is king. Check it out today at www.contentinvestments.com, where you can subscribe for one-off articles or monthly subscriptions. Check it out today. Thank you, everybody. Tuning into another Global From Asia podcast. Today's going to be a fun discussion with my friend Nathan Resnick, CEO and founder of Sourceify, and another hustler, content creator, um, a business owner. So thanks for being here, Nathan. Yeah, it's uh, really exciting to chat, and you know, always a pleasure to touch base and chat about you know e-commerce, manufacturing, and, and you know everything that's going on in Asia. Sure. So yeah, I mean you. You're you're based most of the time in the U.S., but I think we chatted a little, a little while ago. You said seven times this year to China or Asia. That's a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seven times to China, and you know, other trips to Philippines, Vietnam, and Thailand this year, and got one more uh, trip in December to wrap up the year. Oh man, so that's almost mm, not monthly, but not every other month. So sometimes you go. Um, normally, what's the what's the what's the agenda? What's what's the listener to expect? On uh, is there a specific agenda each time, or how does these trips work? For yeah, you? I mean, so you know, we've been really growing our office in Guangzhou, and you know, really a lot of it is either you know, originally it was actually to set up the office legally and incorporate in China and handle all the paperwork, um, and that happened you know much earlier this year. And now it's about, you know, hiring, recruiting and managing and also, you know, making deeper partnerships with the factories that we work with. 
Um, and really, you know, what's also been fueling the trips to the Philippines or Vietnam or Thailand, you know, stems from our you know, desire to diversify uh, our supply chain. You know, we really have to think outside the box when it comes to manufacturing right now, and especially with the current political climate with these China trade tariffs, it puts us in a position where, you know, the demand from customers using the Sourceify platform to produce products outside of China has risen significantly. And so we're in the process of actually opening up an office in Vietnam and, you know, potentially bringing on a few team members in India as well, just to really have more on the ground oversight and, you know, sourcing capabilities in those countries. Which is very interesting. I mean, I'm sure you probably get a lot of press contacting you. I get all these press people contacting me about the, the trade war, the tariffs. Uh, I'm sure you probably have data. Is there is is that any reason why or just expanding? I mean, I'm curious as well to hear your take. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, for us at Sourceify, we always, you know, think global and, you know, we run production all across Asia and a bit in Mexico, but just the demand from customers you know, the spark, though, there's definitely been a trend to produce products outside of China. The, you know, trend has really been sparked by these new China trade tariffs. And, you know, there's uh, uh, potentially all goods imported from China will have a 25% tariff starting in January of 2019. And so it's, you know, very scary for a lot of companies that are importing products from China to be you know, continuing to produce in China without the ability to, you know, diversify their supply chain outside of China. True. I know. I mean, it's, uh, it's very fascinating in a way, but uh, it's, it's true. I mean, I happened to randomly didn't specifically for the trade war, but moved just recently to Thailand and everybody's in China been contacting me and the, the world is shaken up on that. But maybe... Let's back up a little bit. I mean, kind of want the story. I, I, I like your, I want to hear more about it myself, but, um, you know, we've had different conversations. How did you, how did you first get into the game of e-commerce, you know, and, and, uh, the whole, this whole world? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. Let's, you know, start way back, uh, when, like back over 10 days ago. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it, it, for me, it started really just, I, I think honestly, I wanted to be different than my sister. And I remember in high school, she, <laughs> She was studying Spanish, and I said, you know what? My high school offers uh, Mandarin, and I grew up in, in Bethesda, Maryland, right outside Washington, D.C., and just started learning Mandarin my freshman year of high school. Um, my junior year, I, I ended up doing this amazing program that placed students in homestays around the world. So my junior year of high school, when I was you know, 15, turning 16 years old, I went over to Beijing, um, lived with a host family that didn't speak much English and attended a local Chinese high school for a full year. Um, and, you know, really just, number one, fell in love with the culture. And number two, became fascinated by the growth of the economy and the ability for these factories across China to produce all sorts of products. And so my buddies and I, um, you know, almost 10 years ago now, we would go to, you know, the silk market or pro market or all these other, you know, different markets uh, across Beijing where they would have all these knockoff items and you know I'll tell you our best-selling product that we started selling on eBay and, and then a bit on Amazon was uh, those Beats by Dr. Dre headphones you know, <laughs> I've been at these markets for 30 40 bucks and resell them online for two three hundred dollars and, and I tell you you know we compared them we compared the quality of these 
you know, what many people would call knockoff headphones to the real ones. And they were extremely, extremely similar. I mean, it would be near impossible to tell the difference. You know, all the packaging was on point. Um, but as, you know, I grew up and uh, ended up, you know, going back to Maryland for my senior year of high school and soon realized that, you know, number one, that was uh, illegal because we were on, infringing on someone else's mm-hmm. designs. Um, but number two, that to really have sustainability and, and growth in the e-commerce world, you had to go out and create your own brand. So um, in college, I ended up launching a few e-commerce brands and a, and a few projects on Kickstarter. Um, the most successful one was where we invented the first leather watch strap without holes. It worked like a zip tie, like a belt buckle. And we grew that to a six-figure business by the time I was 19. And you know, really just uh, became fascinated by the ability to sell products directly to consumers online. Um, but for me, what I was always most excited by was how to manufacture products. You know, how can you improve your margin, cut your lead time, or you know, increase the quality of your product? And you know, realize that all supply chain teams, whether they be smaller e-commerce companies or larger enterprises, are managing production over email, Excel spreadsheets, and you know, WeChat or WhatsApp. And so, you know, saw this huge white slate of opportunity for software to come in and really automate and improve that process for supply chain teams and you know that sparked the initial concept for sourceify almost two years ago um and we've since had a you know still very young company but uh, amazing journey from you know being a part of y combinator and sharing investors with you know airbnb and dropbox and stripe and some of the you know fastest growing startups in the world um it really enables us to think big and, you know, it's really been a, a great journey so far. And we continue to be excited to uh, bring modern software to supply chain teams around the world. Very cool. Very cool. So I'd love to just pick a couple a couple things to dive into on that and that uh, story. But I think for me, I, I've actually I've met some others that have gone through YC. And I, you know, I as me as an I've been out in Asia, I think even before it started, or maybe it was just starting, but uh, I never really understand the experience of Y Combinator. Um, how was that experience? It, it was incredible. I mean, you know, YC is this very compelling community of founders and entrepreneurs that like to think big, that like to disrupt industries, and that like to innovate. And, you know, to bring so many interesting and compelling people together in one room always makes for a great discussion and always enables you to learn so much. And so really, you know, I think the power of YC, number one, stems from the community, and number two, the ability to learn, and number three, you know, just the access to a network of over now, you know, 3,000 companies that have uh, gone through Y Combinator and, and really, you know, become part of that, that network. Yeah, I guess that's the power of a community and, and numbers, but you're doing the same at Sourceify, so it's been a couple of years, and and uh, I agree with you with the, the sloppiness of WeChat groups and spreadsheet invoices, and um, I'm I'm sure uh, there's been uh, you've learned a lot from the market. Uh, what you know, what have what have you guys discovered over the years about you know yeah. what people need or, or want? Yeah, totally. I mean, I think. Right off the bat, you know, we see two different markets. Number one are these smaller businesses that are just getting started. You know, you have an idea to produce a new line of 
backpacks or socks or whatever it may be. Um, and the challenge in that market is it's very hard for these companies to actually grow because they're limited uh, cash wise. And number two, for factories to actually work with them because they're producing products at MOQs and the factory that is investing in the production run to make the designs and products, um, you know, doesn't know if this company is going to go into another production run. And so that's, you know, definitely the biggest challenge on the smaller business end mm-hmm. on the you know, mid market and enterprise level, you know, companies that are doing uh, anywhere from 10 to $300 million in revenue. There's just a lack of software on their supply chain team. And a lot of times just limited oversight in regards to how much they should be paying to actually produce their products. You know, sometimes they become so integrated with their existing factories that they don't realize this factory is actually making, you know, a 30% margin on their products where, you know, they should definitely have been uh, negotiating pricing terms much more over the you know previous five years they've been working with this business. So I think on one end, you know, it's a matter of, giving them price visibility from a mid-market perspective, um, and then also, you know, really enabling them to have that that better management into their supply chain to have complete control and oversight in regards to what's going on with each production run, rather than, you know, emailing and asking, hey, when's the sample supposed to ship? Or, you know, hey, what's going on with production? You know, it should be all be visible in a, in a streamlined manner. And that's really what we've accomplished at, at Sourceify for this mid-market very yeah, very interesting. Yeah, I think especially with international business, and I appreciate your flexibility. You're doing this late night, you know, just a time zone, right? And uh, the differences of technology and languages. So I, I definitely see the uh, the need for more transparency. Um, is there any like war stories? That you, you know, I don't know if you can reveal clients or maybe your own stuff that maybe people can learn from for their own sourcing or or uh, yeah, I mean. 100%. I can kind of touch on, you know, let's say uh, there's a listener that, that hasn't been to China and they want to find a factory, you know, they want to go online and find a factory. And if they're just getting started, you know, definitely, I, I, I think what Alibaba has done for China and the access that it's provided for foreigners to produce products uh, with some of these factories is great. But the challenge there is how do you know who's a factory, who's a trading company, who's an agent? You know, a lot of times people don't realize that in the marketplace that Alibaba has created, you know, everything is really done for the suppliers because that's how Alibaba is making money. You know, the suppliers pay to be a part of that marketplace. And so for them, you know, though you can see some sort of, uh, you know, certificates and, and mm-hmm, you know, potential mm-hmm. done in Alibaba, you know, everyone on the inside know that there's a lot and lot of ways to get around those certificates and checks. And so, you know, I think from a sourcing perspective, if you're looking to bring a new product to life or looking to find a factory to work with for the first time, you need to do a lot of due diligence on those factories. Um, and, you know, I'm happy to touch on a few of those key points. I mean, some of the easiest ways are saying, okay, you know, if the facility or factory has trading company or uh, industrial or, or, or words like that in their name, a lot of times they might just be a trading company. Sometimes they're a joint factory and trading company where, you know, they do have one of their own facilities, but, you know, let's say it might not be a product they specifically produce at their facility. Well, they'll go, you know, send this, they'll subcontract your production run to their friend's factory who will then produce your product. And, you know, you'll basically be going through a bit of a middleman there and have, you know, a lot of times little visibility into what's going on with production. Um, I think really, 
the key is, is building a trust and relationship with your facility. I mean, you know, you've been in China for longer than I have and know that relationships are just so important in China and throughout Asia. And in some sense, I think that is 100% true in regards to relationships being so important in China. You know, there's the word uh, guanxi that, you know, basically revolves around business relationships. But on the other hand, you know, if there's a big buyer that comes in, that places a big PO with a factory, you know, your production run is going to be pushed back to the line. Like when a production, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, when a factory says it's going to take, you know, 30, 40 days to produce your product, a lot of times it's not actually going to take 30 or 40 days to produce your product. What takes 30 or 40 days is them actually figuring out when they can get your product on the production line or when they can organize the sub suppliers to get all your products into their assembly facility to produce your product. So for example, if you're producing watches, a lot of you know e-commerce founders don't realize that a watch factory doesn't actually produce the watch hands, the watch case, the watch movement, the watch strap all at their own facility. They subcontract it out to their you know partner factories that produce those specific components. And those specific components at you know factories typically you know within the same region ship your component to your partner factory that then is responsible for assembling your you know final watches. Um, and so with products like that, you know as you scale up, you want to identify those sub suppliers to really increase your margin. But you know if you're just spending even even a hundred thousand dollars on production, it might not be worth your time to try to go out and find who those sub suppliers are to increase your margin there. Makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it's it's true. I think people always we're actually going through that right now. We have a a little Amazon business we're working on in the in the podcast for the coffee supplies, and we are uh, having huge issues with supply. We're tra- we placed the order already, and we're recording this in early November, and they might not ship in before Chinese New Year, which is like early February. It's insane. Um, they're just. It's, saying it's just so busy so much backlog right so i think it's also we're a small customer right so that's it's so hard for smes i think to mm-hmm. source right i mean i'm sure you said mid-market i mean i you know i think if you're hitting that moq your your yeah 30 40 lead time may not uh always be at 30 40 days but uh yeah, yeah. The, the actual time to make it is not that long and 100%, and you've seen, you know, hundreds of factories as well. And, and, you know, you know that a good facility has the operational capability to do things very effectively. You know, these Chinese factory owners, the good ones, are smart enough to know how to improve uh, their process. But, you know, really the challenge stems from, you know, getting your products on the production line and organizing those sub suppliers to actually produce your product. And this can be said of, you know, any product. I mean, um, we, we've manufactured everything from kayaks to hair extensions to bunk beds and, and watches and, and backpacks and, you know, everything stems from those sub suppliers. So if it seems like a simple shirt, well, maybe the fabric has to come from a special supplier, maybe the, you know, hang tags or a bag that's going in the shirt has another supplier, like everything and every little piece of your product has, you know, a lot of times different suppliers that this assembly factory needs to organize to produce your product. It's true. Um, but like, I think, especially Americans, I mean, I think we're, we're the minority. Most, 
I don't know. I mean, I guess it's such a far trip, but I don't think most even ever come to China, right? I think even bigger supply, bigger buyers in America I've talked to have still not yet made it over here. Is Would you, do you feel the same? I mean, I've usually... Yeah, I mean, here's the thing about uh, bigger buyers. A lot of times, you know, they don't understand how these products are actually manufactured um, because they either haven't seen it themselves, like you're saying, or... You know, they just aren't technical when it comes to the tech packs or spec sheets that are needed to produce these products. So, you know, you, you know, one quick example, uh, we had a buyer come in and, and, you know, relatively big company. They do about $50 million in sales a year. And they said, hey, you know, we want to produce small, medium and large, uh, you know, bags. And we're like, well, what do you mean by small, medium and large bags? You know, what are the dimensions? What are the fabrics? Like, and a lot of times some of these buyers will just send a photo of the, bag or product they want to produce and sending a photo though it gives you an idea and, and enables you to visualize what this actually looks like um you need a lot more than just a photo you need the actual pattern and fabric makeup and you know cut and trim of the product i mean there's so much that goes into producing even a basic t-shirt yep yeah, I guess I would. We always, I think you know. I guess the advice on this show, and I know you would say, is always just come out here at least once to to uh, to see your factory. I mean, just understand and also the relationship, like we've been saying in the show. Um, but uh, but a lot do it without going. I mean, I've met so many sellers, Amazon sellers, and and others that that have been lucky. And is that is that a goal you think with? Your software, or your ears. I mean, to 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 reduce the amount of times people need to go, or do you still think people should go? You know, for the. I, I think regardless, people should go. I mean, what our software aims to do is just enable companies to cut back on the back and forth that happens in production, and to really understand what's going on with each one of their production runs. And so, you know, if you have even three or five different production runs going out on at once, it can be very complicated to manage. And, you know, you're going to be using a mixture of email, Excel, and WeChat. And so especially in the mid-market, you know, as, as these companies grow and, and are producing, you know, dozens of different SKUs, it becomes a real challenge of, of managing production. And so that's really where we come in. Um, for smaller buyers, I mean, I think it, it really depends on how motivated and, and dedicated you are to grow your company. You know, what a lot of e-commerce entrepreneurs don't, don't realize is, you know, if you're spending $10 to produce your product and I'm spending $5, well, that $5 difference means that I have $5 more to go out and acquire a customer than you have. And at the end of the day, the e-commerce company that can spend more profitably to acquire a customer is going to, you know, win. You know, they're going to be the ones that can uh, beat out competition because their supply chain enables them to spend more profitably than their competitors. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I'm reading a weird book right now. It's a it's an Israeli book called The Goal. It's, it's somehow it's more about actually factory management for some reason. But it's, I'm reading about man, you know, um, more just on general management of a business. Um, but the idea is is managing your supply chain, right? Especially e-commerce, you know. It's all about your supply chain. I mean, that's the, the the bonding of you know making sure you have a quality product that's on time, right? Even if you're the best marketer, SEO or or Amazon market, you know, listing optimization guru. If you don't have your product, you know, you run out of stock or you have bad quality, you're you're dead. You know, no matter how good of a marketer you are. 
And uh, right. it's not exactly. And I think it comes down to also cash management, you know, because we see companies, they either spend too much on inventory and have too much products in inventory and not enough money to actually go out and market those products to sell them, or they spend too much on uh, advertising and sell out of products and don't have enough money to, uh, you know, or don't have any inventory left. And, and that's very frustrating as a e-commerce entrepreneur to either run out of inventory or, you know, not have enough money to actually uh, acquire customers. Make, makes sense. Makes sense. So, um, I'm just thinking how, how can we, you know, I mean, how do we help more people? I mean, it is sometimes people are trying to buy too early. I think, you know, it's, sometimes small buyers think they have to buy. I, I think that was my mis my mistake. Uh, I was trying to buy when I was still too small. Uh, is there some, some way people could know when they should be buying from maybe overseas manufacturers or using, you know, your, your, Using I don't know if it would be relevant to your software, but maybe really going out of wholesale into into private label or or, or at least yeah, manufacturing. I mean, yeah, definitely. I would say right off the bat, you know, you want to find the the leanest way to test, and by that I mean how can you create the ability to understand that your product's going to be successful without you know going out and and you know even ordering the MOQ run of your products. You know, how can you test that? And I think the best way to do that is through landing pages, you know, running a few test ads, see what the, you know, click-through rates are, see what the CPCs are, see what potential CPAs might be, and really just testing out some funnels for different products to see what's going to work rather than actually trying to go out and create a product and then see if it's going to be a profitable product to sell online. Um, because, you know, I think in the e-commerce world, it's very interesting just to see how the world has transitioned online where you have all of these, you know, digital digitally native brands now like Casper or Harry's or, um, you know, even Warby Parker or Away Suitcases that, you know, have really transformed specific industries and, you know, now have created amazing market share in those industries and categories. And it's just, I think as an e-commerce entrepreneur, if you want to think big, you've got to understand how to disrupt an industry. And, you know, a lot of times it stems from your supply chain. You know, Harry's went out and raised a pretty significant amount of cash when they were starting to actually buy a German razor factory because they knew that the supply chain was so crucial to the success of their company. And I'm not saying that, you know, most e-commerce entrepreneurs will have the ability to go out and buy their own factories. But what I'm saying is that, you know, before you make any commitment, you should first test your product, you know, test your funnel. And you can even do that through, you know, renderings or, uh, you know, creating similar products online and uh, putting your logos on them. I mean, you know, that's a very simple test that you can do to understand if your product's going to make sense to, to sell online. It makes sense. I, I was waiting for you to say it, but I'll bring it up. Like, is the AliExpress dropship model dead with the e-packet news? I don't know if you heard yeah, that I don't know. Uh, that's going to be very interesting to see how it plays out. I mean, you know, to, to fill everyone in, you know, basically the way that e-packet shipments work and, and for those listeners not familiar is it's, you know, a partnership between the United States Postal Service and the China Postal Service and, you know, we lose money. I think it's almost a dollar per shipment on each e-packet shipment from China. And so now the, you know, American uh, administration is cutting back on that partnership 
and it means that a lot of these dropshipping entrepreneurs won't be able to ship products via e-packets. And so it's going to really, I think, transition that industry quite a bit. But the you know really scaled out e-commerce dropshipping entrepreneurs already have systems in place to you know, avoid e-packet shipments. You know, a lot of them do direct injectment, direct injection shipments where they're, you know, pre-labeling products in bulk at, you know, warehouse in China and then air freighting all those products over together and, you know, directing them into the USPS uh, shipping service with the labels already on the pack packages. So that's, you know, one way to kind of get around the e-packet shipment dynamic. It's definitely more expensive than shipping via e-packets, but, um, you know, they're all, there are alternatives. I'll say that. Yeah. I mean, I, I do, I do some drop shipping even still on some smaller, smaller test sites, but it's going to actually, that's going to be the biggest negative is like, you know, I used to tell people even dropship, you know, dropship. I've heard other podcasts, you know, advise maybe before you even do FBA private labels, even if you put it, you know, dropship it on your website, do a, do a squeeze page, Facebook ad, dropship, and then do your own private label or source direct. But I guess there'll yeah. always be a way, but um, I, I'm uh, also trying to evaluate what will happen, but thanks for that alternative. Uh, this has been a great, great talk, uh, Nathan. I really appreciate sharing your experience experience and your your uh your insights um so sourceify is your best is the best way to find you how, how can people connect with your your business you also have a plug-in you also do a podcast i'm sure listeners would enjoy that so maybe we can we'll add on the show notes too yeah yeah definitely happy to uh hear from everyone you know best way to get in touch is um pretty much just on linkedin or just google sourceify um you know feel free to ping me on linkedin it's just nathan resnick um, and you know, we, yeah, we also have a podcast we run called e-commerce on tap and, you know, super, uh, excited to, to continue to share knowledge about the e-commerce world. Nice. Actually, you do have sourceify.com now. I'm just, I, yeah, that's awesome. You just, that seems new to me. Um, that's great. We'll link that up on the show notes and, and other ways to connect with you. And it's been a pleasure to have you on. Yeah. Likewise. Really appreciate you having me. Are you looking for a Hong Kong agency to help you with your upkeep or registration of a Hong Kong Limited? Check out Unipro Consulting Limited. We are an equity partner in the firm, which is a local CPA practice that has the accreditation to register and upkeep your Hong Kong company. Check us out on the web at www.uniprohk.com. www.uniprohk.com. Okay, so that's a wrap for 240 show of Global From Asia. Thank you so much for making all the way to the end here. A little emotions here for me. It's just a few more shows left. We, uh, we got the interviews already ready, and we'll go up to 244 shows. Thanks for being here for us and for me, and appreciate it. Enjoy your turkey, and enjoy your holidays. Enjoy your end of the year in 2018. Take care. To get more info about running an international business, please visit our website at www.globalfromasia.com. That's www.globalfromasia.com. Also, be sure to subscribe to our iTunes feed. Thanks for tuning in.